Coming up on this week's Media Project, join Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombardo, and me, Judy Patrick, filling in for Rex Smith. We'll talk about the January 6th congressional hearings and Fox's decision not to offer wall-to-wall coverage. We'll talk about what happens when journalists invade a small community like Uvalde to cover a mass shooting. And we'll talk about Joe Biden and his complaints that he's not getting a fair enough shake from the media. All that and much more coming up on The Media Project next. Men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now... Welcome to the Media Project, an inside look at media coverage of current events. I'm Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette, and now I'm vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. And I'm filling in for our usual host, Rex Smith, former editor of the Albany Times Union. Joining us this week is WAMC's CEO, commentator, columnist, publisher, etc. Fundraiser. Et Fundraiser, Alan Shartok. Yeah. How you doing, Alan? Uh, not too well. I haven't been sleeping well. People have been waking me up in the middle of the night to complain about things. So everything's as normal. Then Roselle just rolls over and everything's okay. You're making a number of assumptions, but let's go on. Also with us is former <laughs> editor, investigative journalist, and UAlbany professor Rosemary Armeo, and Barbara Lombardo, journalism professor at the University of Albany, and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. Thanks for being with us for the program for which we apparently are never supposed to prepare, according to Dr. Well, no, I I come in here and I see that you all have oodles of paper laid out in front of you and you're studying assiduously. And I'm saying, what part of this did I miss? Producer Speedy Gustina never sent me anything, so I, I don't know whether there are subjects we're going to be talking about that I don't know about. But that's just the way it is. We think we've learned that you're best when you're extemporaneous. Well, that means you're a dead temporaneous. So let's begin with the January 6th hearings that are happening at the congressional level. We're finding that there's blanket coverage of this by all the major networks, but 
there's a hole in the blanket, and that's Fox News. Instead of covering the hearings, Fox has decided to stick to its primetime lineup of opinionated conservative hosts. You'll still be able to hear Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingram. They have repeatedly downplayed the assault on the Capitol on January 6th and describe it as a ruse to overturn the rightful presidency of Donald Trump. So my question to you all is, is this brilliant counter-programming on Fox News' part, or is this an uh, abrogation of their duty? What do you think, Alan? Oh, oh, I know. <laughs> uh, the answer is, there are some news organizations that don't recognize something as news if they don't like it. And I think Fox falls well into that, well into that category. They don't like it, so they don't report it, and that's it. They are, to put it mildly, a disgrace. We are joined, of course, by the incredible Rosemary Armeo, who I know will have something to say about this. Well, I actually disagree. What? I think it's brilliant. I think they're playing to their audience, which doesn't want to watch the whole thing. And I'm not sure even on the liberal side we want to watch the whole thing. There's a lot of procedural crap that goes on in these meetings. There's a lot of boring stuff, speechifying. And they're going to go in and just, they say, we'll see if they actually do it, but they're going to just give us the relevant parts. I mean, we do this all the time with, say, trials. How often do we do gavel-to-gavel coverage? Now, in my point of view, I think this is worth gavel-to-gavel coverage, and I would do it. But I can't totally disagree with an opinion to go the other way. Well, but on the other hand, people suspect the news. They suspect the people who give us the news organize it according to their own likes and dislikes. I have often said to my classes, okay, give me an article from the New York Post, the Daily News, the New York Times, on the same subject, by the way. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you which newspaper it comes from. It has a voice. It has a bias. And, you know, Fox certainly has not made any secret as a unit, not any individuals, but as a unit, they've made it clear that they think this is all bogus. However, I look at their strategy and they have more viewers than any of the other stations, any of the other networks. So why don't we start using those tactics? Could you just for a moment go into some of those tactics? Commentary that is at odds with the news, strong voices, advocacy, selective news coverage. The uh, right accuses the left of selective news coverage, whether or not that's true. And I think it is charmingly naive of you to say that... They're so nice, charmingly naive. uh, That Fox is going to report the essence of what happened, that they're going to pick and choose the right things. I I deliberately said, we'll see if they do it. So I. I, Did did you say that? I missed that part. Yeah, I did say that. I said, we'll see if they actually. I'm going to re-roll. When I listen to this, it's Sunday at uh, (laughs) 6. It it is. I I said, if they they actually carry through with it, it isn't charming naivete, it's experience. We've we've had this argument on many topics. But they're part of the the story, too. I mean, they. They are. If Mark Meadows. Those texts with Hannity and Ingram, how do you say her name, Laura mm-hmm. Ingraham, they don't want their listeners to know about those things. They don't want to call attention to those things. So I think from a strategic point of view, I agree with you, Rosemary, that it's in their interest to cater to their audience and to protect themselves by not going gavel to gavel. But it's a disservice. But is it the public interest? Fox Business Channel will carry the hearings live, but the Fox main network has a a very large audience. Yeah, that channel has a tenth of the audience of Fox News. Right. And again, the Lifetime Channel probably won't be covering this. Either will ESPN. But 
Fox News positions itself as a news network, and that's one of the reasons why people are saying perhaps they should be covering it. They say they will break in for regular coverage. There are six or seven of these hearings scheduled for the month of June. We don't know what else is happening. The rest of the summer is supposed to wrap up by September. You know, do any of you remember watching the Watergate hearings? every second of it. But we're not the norm. I mean, all of us here read multiple (laughs) news outlets. You can't even say newspapers anymore, although it was in Watergate. But that's not the norm. There are people out there who are really busy and actually are far more interested in inflation. I was going to say the war in Ukraine, but I think it's only inflation and rising prices. They're more interested in that than in anything else. I don't think they would sit. How many people are going to sit and watch What worries me more than them not showing it gavel to gavel is their denigrating of it. Their message that this is not important, that this is not real, that this is just a lefty Democrat political play. And that's really troubling because it reinforces what they want their listeners to believe. That that we agree on. That's frightening. And you can hear it on the you know, local AM stations, I was you know popping around on my way here this morning. It's already being denigrated before it even happens. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm looking for from the committee is the release of documents so that they have been fairly secretive throughout their investigation. And perhaps that's because it's an investigation and it needs some level of secrecy. But I am hearing calls from journalists that the committee should be releasing all of its documents, all of the recorded testimony, and they haven't done that yet. It's interesting that you use the word leaking as opposed to releasing. You said they should be leaking as opposed to releasing. Well, I, I meant releasing. No. <laughs> I meant releasing. So well, everyone can add it for, for posterity, if, if, if nothing else. I feel like that's more a roundtable discussion than media because we're talking about government, but I think the committee has been ridiculous in the way they've handled it. I'm not a big fan of secrecy. What did that do for Mueller? All those months who said, oh, isn't he brilliant? He's got it all tapped down. No, should have been leaking things. And now the committee's doing the same thing. And they also, enough has come out so that none of this hearing or very little of it, I fear, will feel new, will feel new and different, which leads to the Fox supporters saying, oh, see, it is just a hack. They're just going over the same stuff over and over again. And partly that's the way it's been played out. Well, isn't there a problem we should look at here as a distinguished panel, or maybe mostly distinguished panel? Um, And... (laughs) And ask this question, isn't it wild that so many Americans are so dumb? I mean, you know, the fact is that because America, I think you've said things like this, Rosemary. I know. I know um, I and, and therefore, you can put almost anything over that you want because, uh, you know, you got a very gullible public. I've been reading this week, getting ready for the January 6th hearing about the Iran-Contra affair. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Most people don't. And Reagan was as culpable on the face of it as Trump is. And got and away, away scot free. Everyone who was caught up in the scandal was pardoned by George Bush, Papa Bush, CIA director at the time, wasn't involved at all, of course. And the public just <laughs> forgot about it, forgave it all and went on. Everybody in that affair went on to illustrious careers. And I fear the same thing's going to happen here. I think Trump could be the next president. You know, Andy Borowitz, the satirist for The New Yorker, suggested that Fox News has opted to air reruns of the 2000. 15 Benghazi hearings instead of the... Uh, wow. The, <laughs> That's <laughs> good. That's a good one. That's funny. Let's move on to Uvalde and the aftermath of the coverage there. We're hearing complaints from reporters that they're not getting the information that they need to inform the public about what happened. But we're also hearing 
getting some blowback from people in a community when a big event like this happens, especially in a small town, you get an invasion of local journalists and you get a certain amount of antagonism towards the reporters who remain there and are in people's faces about how do they feel, what's happening next. And so is the media being responsible or are some parts of the media being irresponsible in pushing this small community for content that they want about the shooting? I love the fact that we have three very distinguished editors, ex-editors, sitting right here. All of you have assigned reporters to very difficult tasks, including going to the home of somebody who has just been murdered and asking a relative, how does it feel to be the mother, the father, the brother, the sister of a murdered person? I would lay most of this at your doors, the three of you, because I think you are ultimately responsible for assigning those people. I'd assign them. I'd send an army out there. I think that's the wrong story story, though, how people are feeling and the impact of young people dying. That story has been done and covered, and in fact, it's in full public view. The little girl and the father speaking in Congress, oh my God, it doesn't get any more heart-wrenching than that. The story is the cops stonewalling the press and the public in that community about what went on. Why did they spend 78 minutes standing in the hallway doing nothing while shots were being fired and kids were pleading for their lives? Who wrote the lies that then went to the governor and were disseminated? What's the punishment for that? The guy who is the police chief is now on city council. He's barricading himself in his office. I'd have reporters out of his door around the clock. They pushed him out of the building. Did you read that? The reporters who are waiting for a public official in a public building were told to get out. They were trespassing. So they waited in the street for it. Crazy stuff. This is a story that needs coverage. Yes, and I don't want it to get pushed aside. Right. That's really a danger that could happen. Right. We're seeing instances of police agencies being called in to keep reporters out of public venues. But also, early on when the funerals started to happen, the press was barred from a lot of the funerals. And the question is, do you send a reporter in when you're not welcome to well, cover? Barred by who? Barred by the family. Do you respect the family's oh, wishes so, if oh, someone absolutely. has been tragically killed? Yes. Or right. I've in? been into those funerals. A little boy well, tragically killed, and I just went in. I didn't carry my notebook, and I wrote a story about the death of a young boy. I got a thank you note from the family later. Yeah, if you have a gaggle of reporters, you know, in the back with well, cameras that's the and all with that, this but that's sort not of what happens. Yes. Yes, but that could happen with something like this where reporters from a wide geographic area and a lot of different media people are going to be trying to get in there. So having been in that situation in the past, sometimes you would stay outside of wherever the funeral service is being held. You might try to talk to people coming in, talk to people coming out, or you might do, I think what you're talking about also, quietly sit in the back, you're making observations, you're listening, but well, you're you not guys, being intrusive. intrusive yeah. Well, have you guys ever had direct confrontation, the three of you, all veteran reporters, with somebody who just resented your being there? Every day. Yes. <laughs> and that, can That's you tell life. Us, can you tell us all a little about it? Because, you know, we're sitting here listening listening to the radio, and you guys are the war correspondents, so what do you got? I totally love it. When you know your rights, and you're in a place, and you have a story that needs to be covered, and someone is obstructing you, you can get the self-righteous feeling and just say, I'm going to cover it. Do you ever get self-righteous, Rosemary? Oh, yes, I do. I love that feeling. You know, to be thrown out of a secretly called meeting of the Public Housing Authority, a source calls you and tells you about it, and you show up, and they're horrified to see you there, and they want to close the meeting, and you're just a citing the law to them, or they try to close a public hearing. You guys have done the same thing. 
It's easy to be righteous, though, when you're dealing with public officials or a public entity. It's a lot more difficult when you're dealing with a family, especially someone who's not used to the press. Kelly McBride, the journalism ethics point person at Pointer Institute, she advises news organizations to better prepare when assigning people to these stories. Most interviews on the street indicate this work sometimes isn't done. People in shock and trauma, she said, shouldn't have to make an on-the-spot decision about dealing with someone in the press. Yes, and I think that journalists need to be trained either in school or by their editors be prepared of how to approach a family what to say right. what not to say right. is there um, anything they can say i mean well yes i'm so sorry for your loss i would love to tell your story would you be willing to talk to me and so that you're empathizing not fake empathize because these are real tragedies and you're not trying to be an arrogant bully pushing in but you're trying to give them an opportunity to talk about their loved one right. or the issues. And Rather than just as a victim that, you know, your daughter was found like in Like, how do ditch. you feel? And we're going to print that. I'm sorry we're going to have to, but I want our readers to know your daughter as you knew her. Can I, you talk to us? I remember having our paper do a, a one-year or a five-year follow-up on an unsolved murder, mm-hmm. which is a rare thing up in Saratoga. And the re- young reporter, one of her questions was going to be, like, whether the parents were still, you know, grieving <sighs> for their kid. Jeez. So... Yeah, that's inexperience and youth, and you never will get over that, having lost a child. So that you need to be sensitive and cognizant of how you're approaching people. Or the classic stereotype TV question where they shove a microphone in your face. How does it feel to lose your daughter to a murderer? Yeah, kind of dumb. And it's counterproductive. You don't get information that way. Here's somebody who should be knowledgeable about how to handle that, the president, Joe Biden. He is complaining about the amount of coverage or the kind of coverage he's getting. He's pressing his aides to develop a more compelling message and to do a better job of getting the news of his administration out. Is the media, are parts of the media, aside from Fox News, failing this president and his administration? Well, first of all, let's remember that I believe every president who ever breathed the breath of air has had that complaint. They're not giving Abraham Lincoln for one. Yeah, they're not giving me what I deserve. And sometimes I think it's true. I'm one of those who believes that a lot of members of the press have a particular agenda in terms of what they want to do to a particular political officer. And some of them really are quite reprehensible, period, end of sentence. I think they're usually caught out, though, when when it's that blatant. I think that Biden is right. His message is not getting across and his team is not performing well. That complaint, however, is with his team. It's with the politicians, not with the media, which is just doing their job. The way that story is framed is like the media is doing something wrong. I don't even think Biden is saying that. He's saying to his people, you got to get our message across, which is something we've been saying for a long time about Democrats overall. They don't mess as well as Republicans. I would agree with that. Biden's people need to be better at doing what they want the media to do, mm-hmm. which is to be critical of the Republican obstructionism. And yep. if they were more forceful about saying what isn't happening because of them, we would be reporting that he was saying that. At the same time, there are subtle word choices and story choices that the media uses that I think reinforces the characteristics that Biden is justifiably complaining about. Coming down here, they were, uh, on the radio, I heard an NPR report where they were talking about this America's summit that Biden is at. Yeah, I heard it. And because you know they wanted to address immigration issues and how big that is on the continent, and they uh, said that the ability to actually accomplish something is probably going to be small because of Biden's inability, it's not an exact quote, but the inability to get the Mexico president and other key leaders 
So now it's his fault that they didn't get in. Instead of saying the refusal of Mexico's president and other key leaders. So the way it's it's like a subtle way of saying that it's Biden's fault or is it not Biden's fault? And I think we need to be more aware of that. Yes, I was going to ask you as an impartial observer of the journalistic and political scene, whether your views on all of these things would change based on whether, you know, these were people you were sympathetic to or not. In other words, if you're a Democrat by nature as opposed to a Republican, do you think you could sit here and be objective? Well, you're never totally, you're bringing your own feelings to the table. Yes, that's right. And you're criticizing others for bringing their... their, I don't don't see how that comes into play here. Oh, okay. I I do think it matters. I deliberately did not and could not participate in any coverage of the Trump administration because I'm so anti-Trump. And I see the danger of that when I see the reporting on the origin of the Wuhan flu, where we, the, the media, overall dismissed any idea that it came from a lab. We just dismissed that because Trump was in favor of that theory. And it proved to actually have some scientific validity. Essentially, it was disproved later, but only after an investigation. I ignored all that yeah, because that... I didn't want Trump to be right. Mueller, yes. how would how would I have reported on Mueller? I could not. I was angry at Mueller for not nailing it down, angry at Barr for Barb. the way he mischaracterized it. And a whole lot of that is my anti-Trump feeling. I can't report on him. I can. <laughs> but it's still going to come across as uh, well, not flattering. Rosemary, I mean, let's take it to its absolute absurd. Let's say you were a German back in the 1930s, you know, and Hitler was coming to power and you you found Hitler to be totally reprehensible. Do you say then I'm not going to cover him because of my feelings? We actually have a very modern correspondent to that, which is Russian journalists, 150 Russian journalists. They're investigators. They're real journalists. They hate what's happening in Ukraine, hate the Russian policy. And they've actually at great risk to their life gone into Latvia and other countries surrounding Russia to continue reporting by phone and by, you know, contact that way to continue reporting on the malfeasance of the Russians. So I guess that is a sort of prejudice they have, which is anti-war and anti-tyranny, and they've continued to work. So that's a little bit different than and having fact, a bias. Excuse me. It is fact, it's fact-based it reporting. Yeah. So if you're reporting information, not just opinion and not just political trivia or beliefs or baloney. Yeah, and well, that's what they always say, don't they, Barbara? You know, the idea that everything we do is fact-based, but it's really not. Well, good journalism is fact-based. And on that note, I just wanted to take issue with something you said earlier that is bugging me. That I said? Hard to believe. <laughs> and yet, when you said that there were so many dumb Americans, and yes. well, that yeah. bothered me because that's exactly the type of language that turns people away. You don't want to be called dumb and that we're not better than somebody who disagrees with us. So use another word after that. Gullible, maybe. Mm-hmm. I feel like Rosemary's going to explode. Well, yeah. going to say they are dumb. I'm going to go to my dumb. lawyer, no. Rosemary Armeo. Okay. I, don't, I don't think that there's is persuasive. Whole, it isn't persuasive, but there's a whole strain of anti-intellectualism in American life. And for a long time, we were told, and I even believed it, that on the whole, the American people always make the right choices. Just leave it to them, present the case, and they'll make the right choices. I do not believe that is true. I, and I see things like um, uh, the Mueller report, like Trump. Okay, let's take Warren Zirkel. He was a corrupt and horrible Secretary of the Interior under Trump. Awful man. So much so that he's drummed out of office. Never indicted. So our legal system doesn't work. And now he's running and is ahead in a lead to go back to Congress from Montana. That is not smart choices. Herschel Walker was picked by Republican voters in Georgia. I'm sorry. The man is stupid. 
in the classic sense, unschooled, uneducated, and inarticulate and dumb, any way you want to define the word, and he's a sexual predator. And yet he's uh, now a candidate for the U.S. Senate. That's not gullible. That's dumb voting. I, I agree with that one. You remind me of a one-on-one conversation I had with a Tea Party advocate back when I was editor of a newspaper. We were, you know, we wanted to meet people who were upset with our coverage. And after a long conversation, the man finally said to me, "The problem with you, ma'am, is you have too much education." Yeah. That was very enlightening to me because I hadn't laid out any credentials. I was just giving him talking points. Well, the more important question is, what did you say back to him? I had to laugh. I had to chuckle because he caught me. I was stunned. I did not understand what his problem with education was. Anti-intellectualism, and that's a great threat to our democracy. And it has been. This is nothing new. This is not Trump or Tea Party or anything of recent vintage. It goes back to Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, There was the same strain of this in America. America. And as I've said on the roundtable many times, I'm not taking name or call me elite if you want. Call me overeducated. Thank you very much is what my answer will be. And you should be too. Call me Ishmael. <laughs> yeah, one of the problems that a columnist from CNN, Edward Isaac Dover, noted about Biden was that he is a, quote, 79-year-old man who still thinks in terms of newspaper front pages and primetime TV programs, surrounded by not quite as senior aides and senior positions with the same late 1990s media diet. Mm-hmm. The idea being that he is not getting out there. I, I think there was an effort. He met with the outrageously popular pop group BTS, but he did it behind closed doors. There was a photo op, but um, he didn't really make as much hay with that as he could have, and he got some tweets on it, but it didn't go very far. Well, but as an 80-year-old, I, I sense a certain amount of ages, <laughs> ages comment uh, coming well, from Well, who's you. BTS um, then? Here's the so, quiz. Um, there, there was an article by John Al. <laughs> Gotcha. from Columbia Journalism Review, and he called them the supergroup BTS. So it was the first time that I not only knew they were a supergroup, but that I learned that they existed. So and yet, and yet millions of people viewed that video. So it's, yeah, there's opportunity to reach people. It isn't ageism. Trump is nearly as old as Biden, and he was magnificent in the use of Twitter, Facebook, all the social media. I'm still confounded by that. I know how he got it, how he tapped into the whole, you know, discontent of the uh, American working class, too. How did that idiot get Mm. all that? But he did, and you have to give him credit for it. Oh, I don't know Um, that you have to give him credit for it, but you could have stopped right there and said, but he did, and you were right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he got a lot of media coverage that helped. You know, Biden can't win. He had Matthew McConaughey, the actor, the famous uh, the Oscar award-winning actor, at the White House speaking about gun control. It was a really emotional. It was, it was a and good he's speech. from that town where the shooting was. Exactly. So there was reason for it. And I'm hearing from, you know, the Trump supporters who write to WAMC saying, oh, my God, we have an actor standing up in place of the president. He's unable even to speak on this. Biden gave two really good speeches about gun control after Uvalde. So he cannot win. There are talking points against him. There's a directed campaign on the right uh, against Biden and painting him as incompetent and senile. And I don't think anything he does short of a campaign that his people are far from putting together to show him to be different than that. Well, I don't know, Rosemary. I have a different kind of feeling. I think that if the candidates in the next presidential election are Biden and Trump, Biden is going to win, despite the fact that his numbers are low. I think it's a question about who's your opponent. And who comes out to vote? I wish I could say I was as optimistic as you. Well. Look at what's happening in some state legislatures. 
So we have time for one more topic before we have to say goodbye. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Washington Post reporter Dave Weigel and his suspension for a month without pay for retweeting an off-color uh, misogynistic joke on Twitter. Can you give us a hint as to what was in the misogyn- Oh, it's in that material oh. that we looked at. All, all <laughs> women. Looked at. Why yeah. can't we say it? All women are bi, he wrote. You just have to figure out whether it's bisexual or bipolar. Definitely misogynistic. There's no question yes. about that. Uh, uh, journalists are encouraged to be on social media, encouraged to get tweets and retweets and develop a persona, but when they don't, they get slammed pretty hard, and not every company has a social media policy. Washington Post does, and this is what it called for. Well, this was a really dumb, dumb thing for him to even think it was okay to do, and to think that there was humor in it and to do it. I would add to that, who hasn't done something dumb and regretted? I shouldn't have thought it, but I did think it, and I shouldn't have tweeted it, or whatever it is that they did. And what's a fitting penalty? He's been suspended, right? And Without pay for uh, a month. Good. I think that's fair. I don't think you should lose your job over it, but it needs to be a message to him and to other journalists to think before you speak or tweet. The real problem at the Washington Post is that their social media policy is full of holes and conflicts, and it's irregularly enforced. And that's the problem this reporter ran into. He wasn't disciplined at first. He was disciplined after a female reporter who has been punished and publicized in a bad way for her tweets. She's a sexual assault survivor, and so she's commented on Kobe Bryant and others, and she was punished for it. And so she said, oh, nice. You know, she has a case against the paper that it's a toxic work environment. And his tweet played right into it. He got what he deserved. Yeah, and it was it was disturbing to me that he even thought that it was that something was okay. funny worth sharing. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. No. Yes, indeed. Thanks to Alan, Rosemary, and Barbara. And thanks to our producer, David Costina. I'm Judy Patrick. Thanks for joining us. See you next week on The Media Project. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press. 